Good evening. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer. I know Matt just prayed, but I'm very nervous, so I need the Lord to be with me this evening as I share with you. So let's open in prayer, and then we'll get right to it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity, this privilege that we have to come and talk about you, Lord, to worship you with um, our hearts. Lord, as we look at your scripture, draw our minds and our hearts towards the truth. Lord, I pray that everything that comes from my mouth tonight would be uh, from you and you alone, and that um, you would just help me to be open to your Holy Spirit. We thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this evening, I'm going to be sharing, um, hopefully, most of what I'd like to share with you out of um, Mark, Mark chapter 10, um, verses uh, 23 through 31. But to start off with, kind of what I'd like to do is just introduce kind of this idea of the different types of hearts. Now, this is just how I kind of see, how I see it, and kind of how I wanted to address it this evening. Um, I see it as four different types of hearts. Um, three of which I'm really going to focus on tonight. One I'm just going to mention just as we get started. But one of the one of the types of hearts that I see in this world today is what I would term the walking dead. There's this idea that we read in Romans. Romans one talks about those who have denied the truth and exchange it for a lie. Second of all, there's what we call the vampire Christian. So as I mentioned that, you know, some of these terms you might have heard before, and these aren't my original ideas. I've stolen these from some people. But what comes to mind when you think of a vampire? Bloodsucker. A bloodsucker, right? Okay, so these next three, the vampire Christian, the functional atheist, and the Psalm 23 Christian are the three that I want to focus on because I think these three are the ones we see most often in our church. So when we talk about a vampire Christian, what does that mean to you guys? How would you define a vampire Christian? Someone who takes and doesn't give. Okay, someone who takes and doesn't give. Okay, they're in it for the blood, right? That's what a vampire does, right? Sucks the blood. So it's just in it just for what they can get out of it. There's no, there's no give and take. It's purely selfish, right? Um, next is the functional atheist. What do I mean when I say functional atheist? Now, this I stole this from Paul Tripp. I don't know if you guys know who Paul Tripp is, but he's, we've done a couple of his ma uh, marriage seminars here at our church. But he says it like this, or he defines what he's trying to say. Um, let me get to my notes, sorry. What is it? But the question was, um, a vampire Christian, would that be someone who takes the Lord's name in vain? Um, I suppose, yes, a person, a person could do that, a vampire Christian. I mean, there are lots of people, even Christians, who would take the, names, the Lord's name in vain. So, but yeah. Sure. So back to our um, functional atheist. Um, <laughs> sorry, please be patient with me. Um, 
Tripp explains what a functional atheist like this. He says, yes, we believe that God exists, that he created the heavens and the earth, that the Bible is accurate, and that paradise awaits. But we often live at a functional level, as if there is no God. We worry too much. We control too much. We demand too much. We regret too much, and we run after God run after God replacements too much. We do all these things because we have forgotten God's, pre- God's presence, power, and glory. So I was pretty convicted when I read this article. I thought, how is it possible to be a functional atheist and be a Christian at the same time? Is that contradiction in terms? Or am I living my life professing to be a Christian, but denying the power therein, right, the Bible says. So moving on to my next, uh, my next example would be the Psalms 23 life, the one that Brandon has been sharing with us the last few weeks um, as he's been preaching. We have the person who is following God, who is living the life that um, lets God lead instead of carrying him around like the rabbit's foot, you know, like a good luck charm, right? It is functional, it is practical, and it's relational. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. The things that we have and what we want and what we can do on our own drown out the words of God. We don't give God a chance to show himself powerful in our lives. Last week, Brandon asked the question, what does it mean to know and to be known in the context of the shepherd and how he knows the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd? And that was found in John ten fourteen. The way I see it, if we read 1 John 1, 19, he says, we love God because he first loved us. And then Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love toward us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God appeals to our hearts through his demonstration of sacrifice on the cross. We know God because we experience God. We listen to the words, right? It's not just words on a page. We're not just opening the Bible and reading words. This is something practical that we're supposed to be living out. So, Sorry. Um, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, When someone does something nice for us, or we get a chance to go above and beyond for someone else, we feel like we matter. If we look around in culture right now, can we not see this? People want to know that they matter, right? We hear, the, we hear this, this terminology all the time right now in the news. You know, somebody's life matters. This relationship that we have with Jesus Christ is that. It's a relationship that is give and take. It's two, it's two ways, right? It's not just one way. It's not just God saying, I love you. It's not just God saying, do this and you'll get this. It's a relationship where we believe that, we live it, 
and then we let God work in our lives. We let God show himself real in our lives where we can experience it firsthand. Remember when the um, Israelites came out of um, Egypt, um, one of the first things that they told the people to do was write down everything that had happened to them. Write it on their hearts. Write it every place so that they wouldn't forget what God had done. Why do we not want to forget what God has done? It's because it's how we experience God. It's how we have this relationship with God. Um, I think um, I'm going to kind of, I'd like to share with you last week when we talked about um, knowing God and being known by God. I, I remembered some things that have happened in my life that I'd just kind of like to share with you, which I think kind of illustrates the relationship that we have with God, and it also illustrates um, this being known and known, not known God. Being known by God and knowing God, sorry. Um, so I'm just going to share a little a short story, maybe a longer story, I don't know. Um, so just before Crystal and I were, were married, um, I met her her uncle, who was the owner of the ranch, who Justin McMahon, who attends our church, now is running. Um, but her uncle and her grandpa were still running this ranch, and, and they said, hey, you know, I've gotten laid off. Why don't you go see if you can be a rancher? And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. I can go be a cowboy, right? So I was a city kid, pretty much, just somewhat similar to I am now, just shorts. Um, that's how I grew up. I never put a pair of pants on. So I showed up at the ranch during hay season in a pair of shorts to haul hay. Now, this is not hauling hay like um, it just gets picked up by a machine and it gets dumped off somewhere. This is where we're pulling it off of a conveyor belt as it's coming up the side of a truck, and I'm grabbing it and throwing it, <laughs> pretending to throw it, right? I'm throwing the hay bales to the front. Justin, my brother-in-law, looks at me and goes, are you sure you want to wear shorts? I'm like, I got this, right? I, I, I weed whack in my shorts. I got this. It's no big deal. I don't know, 30 minutes into me hauling the first few bales of hay, I am tore up. I mean, I don't know if you've ever touched the side of a bale of hay where all the cut ends are, but they're sharp. My legs look like I went, like I went through a cheese grater. So now I have to swallow my pride and grab a, set, grab a set of chaps. Have you ever put a set of chaps on when they're sweaty and your legs are tore up? It just made it 10 times worse, right? So anyway, moving on. That was kind of like the, the funny part of that story. But what really demonstrated to me this whole idea of God's love um, for us and how that's demonstrated and how we can relate to that is I remember the very first day that I went out with Justin's grandpa and there was a whole field of cows. And they're all, they're in a field that they've been in for a while. And I'm thinking, where's the horses? Or where's the four-wheelers? What, where's, where's, how are we going to get these guys in? Justin's grandpa walks to the fence or to the gate, and he lets out this big old, I don't even know what you call it, like a whoop, right? Woo! All the cows stand up, they look around, and they all start bawling. And then in a big, mad rush, they all come running to the gate, and they wait. We open up the gate, and we lead them into the new pasture, the pasture that's not been eaten down, the pasture that's tall with grass. So I can't wait to try this, but I'm waiting until everybody leaves for the night, right? Because I'm living on the ranch in the little ranch house. So that night everybody leaves, and I walk out to the field, right? 
I think one cow looked and then bawled at me like, whatever. You know, nobody listened to me. I'm like, man, what am I doing wrong? So I'm thinking I'm doing the call right wrong. So I'm trying over again and trying over again, and it's not working. So I jump over the fence, and I'm walking out in the field trying to do it, and they're all scattering. They're all running away from me, right? Well, as the days go by, and I'm learning to work the cows, and I'm learning to, to be in with them, we start to go out, and we're doctoring calves, and we're doctoring cows. We're bringing them in. We're patching them up. And at first, they would stay away from me. They wouldn't come close to me. But as I worked side by side with, with uh, Ed, they would start to get used to me. And pretty soon, I got to the point where I could call, and they would come. We used to run them up through chutes to doctor them and, and to, to bring them in and give them all their, you know, their, their antibiotics and stuff that we were supposed to give them for the year. And uh, again, it was the same kind of thing, where at first they were kind of afraid, but as we started caring for them, leading them from one field to the next to get their next, you know, after they would run out of feed in that one field, they would start getting used to me. And then I could actually walk out there and they would come, come up to me. I would talk to them and I learned how to just talk gently and, you know, make slow movements. Um, so and this is how I imagine this being known by God and knowing God. It's not just about us munching on the, the, uh, the pasture, right? It's about also knowing who's leading us into that pasture. Um, so anyway, that was, that's my, my little, little story. But um, whether you fall into the category of a vampire Christian which I might add, might not really be a Christian at all, right? Um, or if you're in the category of um, a functional atheist, either of these options puts ourselves on the throne. We take God out of the picture, and we take control. I appreciated Brandon's reminder on Sunday that this life as a Christian is not about Jesus being everywhere we go, but going everywhere he leads. Because we are like silly cows who need a leader, or to put it biblically, silly sheep who need a shepherd. So if you guys won't mind turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, we'll get into the text I intended. No, we're kind of on a bit of a windy trail, but um, please be patient as I try to tie this all together. I'm going to read verses 23 through um, 31. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at the words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard is it? For those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With God it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and have followed you. Jesus answered and said, 
Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, um, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. This conversation is with the disciples and follows on the heels of the dialogue that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. I love this account that Mark shares with us in his gospel. So much is going on in this gospel that if we were to, to break it down and talk about it, we could probably talk for weeks on what's going on in this. And I'm sure you guys are very familiar with the rich young ruler um, story. But just to, just to short, you know, to kind of recap of what's really going on. There's a rich guy, young rich guy, right? Who has seemingly kept all the law, the Ten Commandments. He comes to Jesus and asks how he might inherit the kingdom of God. In my mind... An inheritance has something to do with um, a birthright, maybe something that has been given to the firstborn, a privilege, right? Some would say he wanted to buy his eternal life. Whether he wanted to buy it or felt that he had some sort of right to it, either way, it seems to me that the rich man seems to think that somehow he deserves or is entitled to his eternal life that he is asking Jesus about. Does this sound familiar, culturally speaking? Are we not an entitled culture? Do we not feel that somehow we deserve everything without any effort of our own? Jesus here could have taken several different approaches to expose the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of the rich young man and really make an example out of him. Jesus goes on to quote the last six commandments that are listed in Exodus 20. Um, then he asked the rich man, do you know about these? The rich man says, yeah, I've been keeping these since I was a boy. All Jesus would have had to do is to quote the first two. The first two of the Ten Commandments, and he'd have shot this guy down from the very start. There'd have been no conversation. They'd have walked away and it'd been done. But I like how Jesus handles it. I can't help but wonder, as Jesus began to list the Ten Commandments that he did, you know, the last, the last um, of the Ten Commandments, if the rich man wasn't thinking to himself, oh, I hope he doesn't mention the first couple. The Bible doesn't say that he thought that. But I wonder in my head, as I think about the conversation with Jesus and the rich man, if he thought that, you know, because he had to know what those, those Ten Commandments were. He had to know about the first part. You know, now comes my favorite part of the story. It's verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. This man's heart was in love with the pasture not the shepherd. He is the vampire. Now, the, the next portion of here, the part that we read this evening, here comes the disciples, who I'm calling the functional atheists. 
the ones who have been walking side by side with Jesus, but seem to have all along the way missed the point. They watched him do all of his miracles. They experienced his love, his care. They saw how from town to town they were provided for. But somehow they were still trying to make it all happen. Somehow their understanding of all, how it was all supposed to come about was through their training as Jews. So they were still holding on to their own understanding. Just for the sake of tying some of this to what Brandon shared last Wednesday, I'm going to mention the wolves. You don't see the wolves in this story directly, but they're indirectly there. We call them the Pharisees. We talked about the Pharisees and the wolves last week, right? The ones who come to seek and to destroy, who create fear and division. One of the reasons that the disciples and the people in those days were still trying to trust in their own way was because of the law. You know, Hoyt mentioned last week the burden that was put on people that they cannot bear. This is what the the Pharisees were doing. They were putting this burden on the people that their salvation had to be from their own works, from their own sacrifice, right, from the animal sacrifices that they had to make. Anyway, and that's the end of of the the wolves. But um, I just wanted to put it in there for context because that is part of the reason why I think the disciples had a hard time understanding what was going on because they were still trying to hold on to the law, still being, um, the Pharisees was still a big part of their culture and a part of their, their lives in those days. Jesus goes on to make a statement. He makes it twice, but he makes the statement just a tad different in both ways, in both verses. In the first half, in the in the First, in the second half of 23, um, let's see, let's just go to verse 23. Jesus says, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And then if we move down to uh, verse the second half of 24, Jesus says, says the same basic thing, but he changes one word, which changes the whole meaning around Instead of how hard is it for those who have riches, he says, how hard is it for those who trust in riches? It's not that we just have riches, but we also trust in riches, right? There's kind of two different types of people. I have riches. How many of you here would classify yourselves as rich? I see myself as rich. If I deny that for half a second, all I have to do is ask myself, is there somebody that's worse off than me? Is there somebody worse off me than me or you? Yeah. So am I richer than they are? Do I have something that they don't have? Anyway, the disciples looked around and said, okay, so if, if it's impossible for you to get to heaven just by having riches, and if it's impossible to get to heaven 
by trusting in riches, then who can be saved? Right? They're totally blown away by Jesus' comment. Both times, both times he says it, they're, they're totally amazed. Why is that? Why is it that they find that so hard? So let's, let's, let's go over to um, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Acts 4, 32 through 37. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things of that, that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. I'm wondering, as the disciples looked around and saw all the extra that was there, that they began to realize that their trust was more in what they had than in Jesus. There was an abundance there that was being hoarded. And I can't stop thinking to myself that as I look at myself and those around me, that we are rich and we're hoarding and we're being distracted. Now, hoarding is kind of like the vampire, right? To put it back into what we started off with. Um, we're, some people are in this life for what they can gain out of it, not so much what they can give back. Right? They are looking for as much self-gratification as is possible. And they're only going to do what is good for them and nobody else. And then there are those who are just barely making it, the functional atheists, who are not um, really living a relational um, relationship with God. It's purely um, just on the surface. Right? They're just, just barely getting by, not really taking what Jesus is saying and applying it to their lives. Jesus says, why do you keep these things? Sell it and then give it to the poor. Am I saying that having extra is a sin? No. In Luke 12, 48, we read, To whom much has been given, much will be required. My point here is that here in Western culture, we have it pretty good. I realize that there are um, those who are legitimately bad off and that who have true need. And this kind of leads me into where I really wanted to end and the last point I wanted to make. That if we are to live a relationship with Jesus Christ that is meaningful 
And if we are to get beyond just the words that are in this, in this, in this Bible that we read, what do we need to do in our lives to make that happen? Do we have stuff that is distracting us? Are we trusting in our money to save us? You know, it's not only things and money that can distract us, but maybe other things like talents and gifts. Do we have talents and gifts that God has given us? And are we sharing those? Are we glorifying God with those things? God can give us good gifts, things that are extra beyond what is the need, right? God promises to give us what we need. He doesn't promise to give us extra. But if we do have extra, aren't we bound by some sort of um, um, <laughs> aren't we required to do something with that? Is it not an, it's not just enough to have these things. If God is giving it to us, we need to share it back with his people. I feel like I'm all over the place tonight. Back to um, Mark chapter 10. As I look at what's going on around us, as I look at my own life and I look at other Christians and I see the vampires and I see the functional atheists and then I do see the, the Psalm 23 folks and then I look at culture and how it's going and I see where it's leading. It doesn't look good. But the, one of the things that I notice in this passage is that first comes the relationship with God and then Jesus brings it back around to the body of Christ. Now he says, to sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. He says to give up mother, mother, father, brothers and sisters, children, and lands. But then he goes on to say, but if you do this for my name's sake, I'll give it all back to you, mothers, brothers, fathers, and lands. Now, in this time, and how much more? A hundredfold. So what does that mean? How do we give it all away and then get it all back? And what does that mean when we put it into context in the body of Christ? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. What's in the body of Christ? Okay. So our, our family is the body of Christ. Our mothers, our brothers, our sisters, and our lands. I think about the disciples when Jesus called them. He called them to leave it all, right? You even hear the one example of the guys like, hey, wait a minute, I need to go home and tell my mom goodbye. He's like, wait a minute, if you're more concerned about your mom than you are with following me, don't bother. Seems kind of harsh, right? But I think to myself that as we give it all up for Christ's sake, we get it all back 100-fold in the body of Christ. 
in this time that we're in right now, as we social distance and we staying home, all this stuff seems to kind of be going away, right? So how are we going to bring all this back? How are we going to gain mothers and fathers and brothers and lands? I've left one other thing out of that verse that I didn't say out loud. And what is it? Yes, there is, there is the hope of, the, the hope of, um, of uh, eternal life. But he says all of this doesn't come easy, right? With persecutions. We are in times that we are in times that are hard. And who do we have if we don't have the body of Christ? If we are rich in Christ, should we not be giving it back to the body of Christ to uphold, to strengthen, to encourage one another, to live out the relationship with God beyond just ourselves? but to the body of Christ, to one another. We've seen in these times families who are having a hard time with one in one way or another. How do we, as the body of Christ, become a mother, become a father, share our riches and our lands in a meaningful way? If we read 2 Timothy chapter 5, we read all the different ways that men are supposed to reach out to the younger men. Older women are supposed to reach out to the younger women. Why is that? Why do we need to do that? Why is that so important? And why is it so important for us now? To me, I see this as very important. The strength in the body of Christ. The in the body of Christ. Does everybody have it together? There are those who look like they have it all together, right? If you watch long enough, you'll find out that they struggle just like the rest of us. What do I have? What can I offer as a Christian to those who may be struggling? Whether it's a, a relationship or with what I can give financially or any other way. Or what am I doing with my gifts that God has personally given me? God has given us all gifts, purposes, right? Design. God has designed each one of us to do something, something to glorify Him. As awkward as this whole thing for me has been tonight, and how it's probably seeming to you, the one thing that I want to walk away from tonight, or walk away with tonight, is just this idea that with as rich as we are, with as much as God has blessed us with, that we live our lives in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ beyond the surface. Look to our shepherd, not just focusing on the pasture alone. Look to Jesus to guide us through everything we do, everything we do, as, as, as small as it is or as big as it might be. And then from there to take it to the body of Christ. As we move into times where they're going to start shutting us down as believers for all different, every, all different types of reasons, right? They're going to start telling us we can't preach certain things because it's hateful. They're going to start telling us we can't, well, they've already told us we can't do things in school because they're, 
you know, they're offensive, right? Everybody's offended right now. It is so important that the body of Christ reaches out to be the mother, the brother, the father, and to share with those around us, to build up the body, to strengthen the body, to give us something to stand on, to give us strength when the times get hard, so that when they do shut us down, that we don't crumble and fall. I've often thought, what would happen to this body of believers in this church if it was like it is in China? We were being tossed into jail or worse, killed for your faith. What would happen to us? Would we stay strong? Would we still gather? Would we still be there for each other? We can't wait till we get to that point to do this, to reach out, to be the body, to um, be what God has called us to be, to have the relationship with not only him, but with each other. <laughs> That's about it for me. Are there any questions? Any comments? The comment was made that uh, we're reminded through some of this how the disciples were called to follow Jesus. They were called to, to leave it all behind. They didn't have money. All they had was the clothes on their back, right? And how um, we should not worry about our lives because God takes care of us. God is going to take care of us every step of the way. He promises, us, promises to give us what we want. No, what we need, right? Our needs will be taken care of. And if we trust in him, if we learn to be doctored by him, like I was talking about with me and on the ranch, if we let God work in our lives, we are going to see him working in our lives. We are going to become very aware in a personal way, that God does take care of us. And we'll learn to trust. And as we learn to trust, we'll be willing to take the next step. Any other comments? Brandon.
Yeah. Brandon kind of alluded to the last part of um, verse 31. It says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Learning to set aside our own, desi- our own desires and to let go of those things that we're holding on so tight to, whether it's things or, or sin, sin in our lives. Right? Some, sometimes it's hard to let go. Sometimes the guilt or the shame of it grips us and we forget that Jesus is there to forgive us. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can take some freedom in that. Yeah, so the comment, Brandon said again, whatever you think you are, you're not. Whatever you brought to the table is worthless. You know, Jesus makes the comment in verse 27, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. We can't do this on our own. It's not our own strength that gets us there. Who can be saved? Yeah, and who can be saved? Right. Saved by grace, not of works, Brandon said. Anything else? Thank you for your patience, and um, I pray that um, the Lord works in all of our lives to help us through the things that we're holding on to, myself included. And that uh, we learn to let go of ourselves, let go of our distractions, let go of our sins, and to trust God. To not be just a vampire, but be the Psalms 23 who's being led by God in their daily life, trusting in Him. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you are in control. You tell us in Colossians 1 that you, in you, and through you, all things that exist are in, and are held together. Despite what I think I can do or what we think we have that will get us there, it's all worthless without you. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to surrender those things. Lord, that what you have given us, that you would help us to use it to glorify you, whether it be our earthly possessions that you have given to us or our spiritual gifts that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that we would learn to use those to serve you, to glorify you. And Lord, through that example, that others would be drawn to you, that others would be drawn to glorify you as well. Again, we thank you. We thank you that you are in control. In Jesus' name, amen.